Hey, it's Jeremy, and I just want to take a quick minute to thank everybody who's checked this out at SotaSoccer.com, S-O-T-A Soccer.com, and who has supported us and contributed to our Patreon at Patreon.com slash SotaSoccer. We're trying to bring the Minnesota soccer community unmatched, unprecedented, dedicated, unique coverage of Minnesota soccer that you're not going to get anywhere else with written pieces, podcasts, and bonus content available to our Patreon subscribers over at patreon.com slash SodaSoccer. So if you haven't sampled our written content yet, make sure you check that out at SodaSoccer.com. And again, if you want to go that extra mile and directly support what we do, every content creator that's on the Soda Soccer team is paid for their work. So if you want to help support that and contribute to that, just go to patreon.com slash SodaSoccer. You can contribute for as low as $3 a month. Big thanks to everybody who is supporting not only the podcast here, but SodaSoccer.com as well. Now to the episode. What is up and welcome in. It's another episode of 10,000 Pitches. We are a podcast that uh, breaks down everything Minnesota soccer and beyond. We being me, Jeremy Rushing, and alongside me as always this time for episode 115, Mr. Dominic Jose Bazonio. Dom, how are we doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing very well. Um, I, I want to open by noting that I, I unfortunately, I predicted in the last episode the Elite of Foot Bay finale of ROM. And, oh uh, no, Dom! You're supposed to be the expert on I, these things. I know. What well, for what it's worth, it went to penalties, so it was very oh, close. Okay, there you go. But um, but uh, uh, Metropolitanos won instead of Monogas. I I, I guess Monogas. Um, so congratulations, congratulations to Metro for winning the lead. Congratulations to uh, Angostura for getting promoted for next year, and congratulations to uh, Deportivo Lara for uh, winning the uh, the women's league. But uh, yeah, I got that one wrong. So unfortunately, I, I I lost some, I lost some Twitter points. But oh well, that's all right. That's all right. Twitter points. I mean, every every day it seems like Twitter points mean less and less these days <laughs> as, as we move forward here. So that's that's all right. Um, of course, we are presented by SodaSoccer.com, your new home for soccer coverage in the North. Make sure you're checking us out at SOTASoccer.com for all your Minnesota United, Minnesota Aurora, college soccer updates. They're all there. Uh, at sodasoccer.com. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do. Also leave us a rating and review on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I don't know if any of the other podcast platforms uh, do ratings and reviews, but if they do, go ahead and drop us one there. I know Apple and Spotify do for sure. So uh, make sure you're uh, you're helping us out leaving those ratings and reviews there. Um, Dom, before we get into the soccer talk, and there is a lot of soccer talk, um, the great debate has started on social media. Mm. Um, There are the people... And I'm I'm gonna put myself in this category, although I haven't exactly really gone all in yet like I normally do. But once that calendar switches from October to November, the red and green comes out, you start hearing the jingle bells, the music, you might put up the lights in the tree early. Um, yeah. and some people wait until the absolute last minute to do it. Uh to really kind of get in that holiday spirit. Where do yeah. you where do you lie on that uh on that on that spectrum there, Dom? Um, well, I, I, I kind of have a two-part answer only because I myself am not necessarily a person who throws around a lot of decorations, but mm-hmm. I will say that my, 
I will say that I'm a person that enjoys seeing early decorations. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I support, I mean, there's such a thing as too early for sure. But mm-hmm. um, like if we're talking about say Christmas, I, I, I enjoy seeing those, you know, a month ahead of time plus. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I do enjoy that. It's a little silly, but I don't know. I enjoy it. Now here's the dad and the homeowner coming out in me. <laughs> uh, weather is a big factor in terms of putting those lights up and it is really nice right now so that is like top of my list to do before it turns cold is to get those out especially the outdoor decorations well we might do the tree a little bit later on and some of the indoor stuff but like getting those outdoor decorations done while the weather is okay and i'm not gonna be freezing my fingers off uh while i'm doing it that's 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 key that's that's a key strategic home ownership move there um, but yeah, I mean, I, am kind of one of those people, I kind of go in, I kind of go in waves, right? So, um, I'm a big Christmas and holidays guy myself. I get really amped up for it, especially now with kids. It's cool kind of seeing the the other side of it. You know, I remember growing up right. as a kid, always being excited and I kind of now my kids are both kind of getting out to the ages where they really fully understand like the excitement of Christmas and they're going to get presents and it's going to be awesome. Um, right. so seeing the other side of that is really cool. Um, so early on, like, you know, literally November 1st, maybe for like a few days, I'll like get really into it. I'll get the, get the music going and kind of get into the thing. And then of course it'll, it'll taper off a little bit. Cause you can't keep going at, you can't keep going at that rate for, for two straight months. Right. Uh, right, right. but you, you kind of go away from it and then all of a sudden Thanksgiving comes and you're kind of right back in it. So, um, I also do have a goal this year of getting all my shopping Christmas shopping done before thanksgiving so we will see if that happens because i am traditionally like december 21st going (laughs) to the mall to finalize my my christmas shopping because i waited too long to to buy it on amazon so um that's usually me i'm gonna try to uh eliminate that this year because i mean once you have kids and you 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 get married and then there's in-laws and stuff like that it's just like there's so many people to shop for right like when i was growing up it was like my parents and uh our dog and <laughs> a couple friends that i wanted to give yeah. presents to that was really it or like whoever i was dating at the time like i would give them right. a present obviously but it was like four right. people max where yeah. now it's like the list gets longer right. and longer and it's no it's i like, i feel that yeah it's but, yeah i i like well like so i had i have a couple siblings and like even with that it's like yeah, your parents help you figure that out anyway like, <laughs> yep, exactly exactly you know, it's, it's, yeah, it, the, the, the amount of responsibility on you is, is, very, is quite different from when you're mm-hmm. a, a little kid enjoying Christmas. That's for sure. Yeah. The, the old, uh, you know, especially with the extended family, it's just like, yeah, I put my name on the card, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's all, that's all yeah. we gotta do. Say, say it's from me. Uh, yeah. anyways, moving on to the actual soccer talk. Um, we do have an episode of 10 K stoppage time this week. Um, and it's going to be, so, so we did a Twitter spaces on Wednesday evening. And, uh, if you're listening on Friday or or even Saturday, you should be able to go check that out. Really good conversation. Um, it was myself, Jacob Schneider, uh, John Marthaler, Carter Hoffer, Matthew Johnson, all talking kind of Minnesota United postmortem, um, talking about the season, recapping the season and previewing the off season. So that's available over on Twitter spaces. The problem is it is it is borderline impossible to download a Twitter Spaces conversation and put it in podcast form. So what Dominic and I are going to do is we're going to do a very abbreviated 
very sped up version of that for 10k stoppage time so if you're not on twitter or um you don't want to listen to an hour and 15 minute twitter spaces and you want us to kind of chop that down for you uh we will do that in 10 or 15 minutes over on uh 10k stoppage time and plus dom was not you you were not a part of that conversation yesterday so i definitely want to get your input on uh on everything that we've discussed during that conversation so that will be this episode of uh 10k stoppage time more uh dom's minnesota united offseason outlook as kind of we're getting into the 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 nitty-gritty of it here with roster right. moves or roster decisions rather uh coming out early next week um so yeah um one other piece of minnesota united news justin mcmaster called up the jamaican national team for their friendly against cameroon next wednesday on november 9th cool to see yet another loon uh, have the opportunity to uh, represent their country. Uh, but the big news that we have to get to, of course, for the second week in a row, evolves Minnesota Aurora. Um, last week, we discussed kind of their um, letter to their community ownership group saying they were sort of pursuing uh, professional opportunities or starting the reach out process in terms of pursuing professional opportunities. Well, we have a much more clear outlook on on what that looks like moving forward. Now, as it was reported today by Andy Grader in the Pioneer Press, Theodore Lloyd, Theodore Lloyd Hughes at the Striker, um, Jeff Kasuf at the Equalizer, multiple reports indicating Aurora will submit an expansion bid to the NWSL before Friday's deadline. Now, we brought this up last week that November 5th, uh, excuse me, November 4th, rather, is the deadline for um, submitting an expansion bid for 2024. And although that deadline is technically for 2024, the league will still reportedly also consider these for 2025 as well. Because another thing that Jeff Casu from the Equalizer mentioned is that the NWSL is likely to pick just one additional expansion team to join the league in 2024 alongside Utah. Utah is already set to join the league in 2024, right. so they're not going to have a ton of expansion teams coming in. They'll just kind of pick one of that bunch for 2024, but that doesn't mean if you weren't picked for 24, you're just out completely and you're never going to be an expansion team. They'll consider other teams you know, in, in other years, 2025 sure. obviously being one of them. So um, another thing to note, though, that may provide a hurdle or, or is providing a hurdle in this process for Aurora is they have not yet, they've had conversations with potential primary investors. Um, and if they bring on a primary investor, that will really help them circumvent those USSF standards um, that they're likely to face in this process, being a community-owned club. Because as of right now, you can't be, you have to be majority owned by an individual entity, a, a person, uh, an ownership group, if you will, um, to be able to be a professional club you cannot be majority community owned and be a professional club right now now those standards could change but that's a whole process and if uh aurora kind of wants to go the sooner rather than later route with this um they will have to bring on that primary investor most likely but that doesn't mean they have to do so to be considered for expansion that just means they need to let the nwsl know and the nwsl needs to be confident that they will get that done prior to when the team goes pro, if that makes any sense. Um, A lot of information there, Dom. What's your, what's your reaction here? Uh, I guess I have a a couple uh, things. Uh, Yeah. One, you know, 2024 seems like might end up being uh, a bit too, too tight of a uh, gap, but 
if if the NWSL is the league that Aurora are targeting to join, then uh, you know I I think it's entirely possible that project works out great, just not for 2024, and instead it's 25 or 26, something like that. You know, we we've seen teams uh, across all these leagues from you know MLS, the USL, NWSL. There's lead or teams that miss their hopeful window for joining the league and they join two years later and then 10 years later no one remembers that they missed the original deadline so you know there, there there's there's plenty of, of of room to work with there i'm sure although i understand that people would like for it to happen sooner rather than later um in terms of the ownership structure stuff uh yeah i mean i'm sure it's entirely possible that whether it's 24 or 25 or 26 that that Aurora can get themselves through the door under the, with the impression that they will solve that situation by the time it's relevant. Um, mm. That being, you know, for what it's worth, I do want to just throw out there as a reminder, I realize that me saying this is not going to change the league or, or the Federation's stance and therefore will not affect the, the choices Aurora have to make. But for what it's worth, it, I just do want to remind people that this rule is largely just based on the preferences of the federation. Community-run teams are completely capable of operating at top hundred percent levels. So Absolutely. this is a matter of of league and national preference that is being kind of forced in the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, and, and the rule. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. The rule again is is simply that that single individual has to own a majority, not the entire Yeah, it's a certain percentage. I don't know if it's 51%, but it's a let's, certain it's a certain percentage, right. yes. Let's say it's something like that, 51%. You know, the irony, of course, is that one of the biggest leagues in the world, the Bundesliga, has the opposite rule, right? Yeah. So, and uh, I don't think uh, Dortmund or Bayern Munich are too worried about their, uh, their, their structure collapsing. So, you know, there, there's an aspect of this that feels a little silly to talk about from a global soccer perspective because it's a rule that most of the world would consider to be silly. I'm throw that out there. That being said, Aurora going to have to deal with the rules that exist for the Federation. Um, and uh, given, given, given the, the, the momentum of that, uh, of the identity of this team, of the team on the pitch, off the pitch, the brand power that it's developed already, all those things, the, the amount of people they were able to bring to the stadium first year, I imagine it won't be hard to find somebody to, to join this team. It's just a matter of finding the right fit, finding someone who's in a position to move that money around when you need them to do it, all that sort of stuff. Um, I think that's probably more a matter of just making sure that you're careful with the choice than there being not many choices. I'm sure there's plenty of people that would be interested. So, um, you know, that's something that they'll figure out. I mean, this is an organization that we've seen pretty much manage to handle every possible choice really well, like first time around. So um, I imagine that they will handle that process well. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that's exciting, you know, hopefully whoever, if this happens and someone's brought in, hopefully it's, you know, an interesting person who can, can add to this project and, and add to the, the, the cool things that they're doing. But, uh, yeah, anyways, you know, a, a lot of decisions yet to be made, of course, and a lot to, to be unveiled still, but, uh, I remain, you know, I think it remains very exciting that this is happening and that this organization is, is, is taking on this challenge. Um, I think it's one that they've they've well earned a chance to do that with. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm really excited to see where this all goes. 
All right, we'll get back into the episode in just a minute. But first, of course, want to shout out our friends over at Ninth Street Soccer and Coffee, 801 South Ninth Street in Minneapolis is where you can find them. They're in the Marcy Holmes neighborhood, kind of right there between Dinky Town and Northeast. Very convenient to get to no matter where you are in the metro. And once you get there, if you enjoy playing soccer, well, they have pickup going on almost every night of the week. So if you want to be in an indoor, temperature-controlled environment, play and pick up. Ninth Street is the place for you. Also, if you're not maybe in soccer, but you love soccer, you want to be in a soccer environment, they have soccer on the TVs all day long when there's soccer on. They have a great coffee shop and bar area where you can enjoy, uh, you know, you can get your you can get your espresso fix, you can enjoy a great coffee, you can enjoy a nice tea if you want, or if you're feeling like you maybe you want to have a little, you know, it's five o'clock somewhere situation going on. You can enjoy a few of the brews that they have on tap. Beer from Uda Pills, Castle Danger, and so many more. So no matter what you're feeling, no matter what your interest is in regards to soccer, Ninth Street has you covered. If you're a work-from-home type, but you have the flexibility, or maybe you can work from a, a coffee shop like Ninth Street, it's a great place to go get some work done, watch some soccer on the TVs, and just be around other people who love soccer. So if that sounds good to you, check them out. 801 South Ninth Street in Minneapolis. Follow them on Twitter or Instagram at Ninth Street MPLS. That's N-I-N-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T-M-P-L-S. Or hit them up online, NinthStreetMPLS.com. Huge thanks to the guys over at Ninth Street Soccer and Coffee for supporting this episode of 10,000 Pitches. Let's get back into it. Yeah, and going back to the standards conversation, uh, that's something, I mean, it's going to change at some point, right? The way Someday things probably, are trending yeah. with, with community ownership and, and Aurora is not the only team that right. has gone the community ownership route. You look at Detroit City, for example, they're kind of a prime example of, uh, of a club that at least has, has some sort of community ownership staple within it, right? Um, and they're in the USL Championship on the men's side. Right. So it's the, the way things are trending, those standards will change at some point. It's just a matter of, of when I also think though, Minnesota Aurora's success is a good case study for the Federation to look at, to say, maybe this is the time where we sort of allow community owned clubs to have that opportunity to become professional. So, um, Either way, I think it bodes well for Minnesota Aurora's outlook, and I don't know how much of a hurdle and how much it will hinder them in this process when the NWSL is looking at their bid. And I don't know if oh, their community owned is going to be what what tosses them out of that conversation, right? I, I highly doubt that, but it is something to to look at as a, as a factor for sure. Um, so I mean, that's really all we all we have to go with right now. Um, we'll know more obviously when that expansion bid is placed and, um, you know, as, as things progress within that, and I don't know how long the NWSL will take to sort of make those selections and, and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, really exciting that we could have see Minnesota Aurora in the NWSL as early as 2024, probably more likely to be 2025, but, um, yeah. And again, the, the hypotheticals, uh, of, of what that looks like once that happens are all there and, you talk about it. We had the stadium conversation last week. Where do they play? It's like a, uh, with with the the way Minnesota United has really tried to keep their their field surface, um, you know, as as playable as possible. I don't know if you want to add another team playing in there, especially with them in UFC two playing the occasional game as well. That's technically three teams playing in the same season uh, or overlapping seasons uh, on the pitch. So I don't know if Allianz would be a legitimate option. 
Um, one thing that somebody brought up that I thought would be interesting is maybe expanding TCO and the, um, the, the capacity of TCO. I mean, in order to meet the demand though, you would have to do that like to at least more than 10,000 seats. Yeah, that's definitely. adding 4,000 seats. I don't know. I don't know where or how you would do that, but I definitely don't, don't want to throw that out of the conversation. Cause I think that would be great. Maybe they build a new stadium. You see what's happening in Kansas city. You see, um, you know, and, and, and in the lower leagues on the men's and women's side too, you're, you're seeing more soccer specific stadiums built for specific clubs everywhere. Right. Um, is there the room to do that in the twin cities or do you expand what's already there? That's, that's something to consider too. Um, we talked about Huntington bank stadium, potentially where the Gophers play, um, as a, as a potential option last week. So it's, just really interesting. Those, those details that'll obviously get ironed out as we move forward, but, to think about what 2024 or 2025 might look like uh, if this team does get selected for NWSL expansion. It's, it's really exciting. And I think it's past due. I think Minnesota United is, or Minnesota has showed with Minnesota United and, and the way it supports other teams. I mean, you, you look at the gopher attendance these last two years, right? It's yeah. shown that it would be a great hub to support women's soccer and Minnesota Aurora's obviously prove that um to be correct and so i'm i'm excited and and i i it feels good to know that they are likely to be the professional women's team in minnesota yeah. it's not a situation where aurora approves out the concept and then another ownership group swoops in and sort of gets the professional glory out of it um right. it's likely to be aurora that sort of gets the spoils that they've earned and i think that's that just seems very fair and very right and very fitting. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think, you know, I, I've always kind of felt like um, Minnesota was a underrated sporting state in a lot of ways. I always felt like this state actually had more sporting potential from like an organizational level than it ever really got credit for. Even and, and I know a lot of that has to just do with the fact that a lot of the teams here don't end up being the ones that win a lot of championships and that kind of stuff. But um, if you looked at the amount of teams the state already is able to support at all levels, the amount of support those teams get, the amount of support those teams get even when they're having bad years. Yep. There, there's a very unique, well-built sporting culture in Minnesota from a support standpoint particularly. Um, and you combine that with the fact that in the last, you know, whatever some people might say 10, 20, 30 years, how much soccer has grown in this state and, and how big of, of a part of the identity of the state sport it's become, whether that be Minnesota United, whether that be the, the growth of the college and the high school game, uh, the general just, just exposure to, to the global soccer. Um, it just makes all the more sense to continue to invest in combining those things and making the most of them. And, and so, and you know, as as some people have wondered through the years, if Minnesota was ever going to get like a, a USL championship or something kind of team, obviously we've kind of done that with with the MLS Nets Pro team. In this, in that same vein, the question becomes, why don't we have a professional soccer team? Um, mm. You know, we we have professional women's teams for for other sports here. Soccer is a big deal here. Women's soccer is a big deal here. Why would you not answer that call? So. Yeah, it's it's great to see progress being made there, and if it's going to happen, like you said, all the, it makes all the more sense for an organization that's already kind of 
put the investment in and kind of laid themselves on the line for that cause, it made all the more sense for them to be the ones that carry Minnesota over that finish line. Uh, so that that just continues to be a, a very exciting prospect. Definitely. And and more to come there, I'm sure, as the, the weeks continue, we will continue to get more clarity, you know, on this. This is just more like, hey, they're reaching out to investors and exploring the opportunity about being potentially becoming a pro club. And then one week later, it's like, okay, now they're submitting an expansion bid to the NWSL. One week later, who knows what more information we will have on this. Uh, but obviously, we'll be here to break it down uh, no matter what happens between now and next week. Um, so that's it for the Aurora conversation, obviously more to come, but now we're going to go down and talk college soccer. And of course, going down to the Gophers who, uh, played a really, really tough, uh, they, they played, they played tough against Michigan state, Michigan state, obviously the top ranked team in the conference, top 10 team in the nation. Uh, McKenna Beisman gives the Gophers an early lead, just five minutes in with a banger goal. Um, and they take a one nil lead into half. But the Spartans scored twice in the second half uh, to come away with the two to one win and uh, send the University of Minnesota into the offseason. Um, I mean, a, a well fought game by the Gophers, but it's also a, a, a theme that we have kind of seen yeah. with this team all season long. They're able to play really well and really tough against these opponents and take leads deep into matches but then not able to shut the door and finish it off in that final half hour. And, and they did that, you know, this is the third or fourth time this season against a, a top ranked opponent that this has sort of happened against. And, um, you know, and, and those teams are obviously ranked top 10 for a reason. Right. Um, and, you know, not, not to take anything away from, from the gopher season and how they played in this match, they played excellent, but it just seemed to be, kind of a, a, a story that we we had seen before numerous times during the regular season playing itself out here in the in the in the postseason yeah unfortunately a bit of a case of of a, of a broken record um but uh you know i i think the amount of endeavor that this team has shown through the season has been very impressive the the desire to improve the desire to fix things to grow to learn from past mistakes has has been very impressive and you know unfortunately in this game you you do see a bit of the return of some of those those issues and flaws at the same time you gotta give them credit they they lead a fantastic michigan state team for i mean something like 50 minutes i think that they were ahead in this game they scored in the fifth minute so um to 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 Come to blows with a with a great team like that is is an impressive feat. Uh, obviously, they would have much preferred for it to to end in a different result. But you know, I think at the very least, what it shows us, is, and we've been saying this kind of this whole season, but is that this is clearly a very talented group. Unfortunately, a lot of games they're kind of falling on the wrong side of of luck, and and maybe just making one or two more mistakes than the other team. And, uh, and find themselves in awkward positions. And so unfortunately that, you know, the year ends early and on a note that they probably wouldn't have, would have liked to avoid. But uh, again, you know, credit to, to this program for, for showing a lot of fight through the whole season, certainly showing fight in this game, a game that they were not set to win. Um, and so, yeah, the year ends, ends a little early. Um, you know, this is, this is a place they've been in before in terms of, of being knocked out of the stage, but um, 
I guess you have to hope that you know this this year continues to to help develop that that hunger and drive in the program that, that has had several good seasons uh, with this uh, a good season last year with with a lot of this group. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, it's 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 a return to to old problems, but uh, I, I'm still impressed with the uh, the fight that I think this program has shown all year. They do lose a handful of seniors, um, seniors who have been there for a while. I mean, the COVID year makes it feel like these, you know, this, a few of these seniors have been here for, you know, I mean, it has been half a decade that that uh, some of these uh, seniors have been here, right? So it's a long time, uh, Gabby Cicerone being one of them. So obviously I think they're going to miss those pieces, but also I think when, when you look at the the young pieces on this roster and the, the production they were able to get from some of those underclassmen, um, that the future looks uh, extremely bright for this Gopher program as well in a really, really tough and competitive Big Ten conference. So um, on to 2023 and uh, very excited to see um, what steps uh, forward this program takes uh, as we move on to next year. Um, on St. On St. Thomas's end, of course, the women's season is over, but on the men's side, a 2-0 win over Lindenwood uh, at home. Goals from Jorge Pacheco and Jacek Nikowski. Uh, notched the win for the Tommies, uh, but then they uh, followed that up with a 2-0 road loss to Southern Indiana. And uh, they played their final game of the season on November 5th, so Saturday, um, as they're away to UMKC for that season finale. And on the St. Cloud men's side, uh, they lose out in a wild 3-2 game uh, over or against Davenport in the GLIAC tournament opener. It was nil-nil at half. Davenport scores two goals in the opening 15 minutes of the second. Then St. Cloud scores two in the 71st and 81st minutes. Um, it was Owen Wurzdal and Vakoda Mastalovich getting the goals for uh, the Huskies. But just 46 seconds after the equalizer, Davenport notches the winner. So uh, five goals in the second half in this one. Unfortunately, uh, St. Cloud on the wrong side of that score line. So their season comes to an end in that uh, opening round of the GLIAC tournament. Um, on the D2 women's side, in SIC tournament time. Um, first round was played on October 1st. Uh, top seed, Minnesota State. A dominant not, sorry, that, that's a typo, not October 1st. <laughs> oh, it was not October 1st? Uh, November 1st, yeah. November 1st, sorry. That makes yeah. a lot more sense. It was not over <laughs> a month ago that these matches were played. It was, uh, it was just a few days ago. Um, it was, uh, all right, let's get back on track here. Uh, it was Minnesota State 4, Concordia St. Paul 1, um, Augustana Blinks, Winona 3-0. Um, same score line for Minot, 3-0 win over Northern State. And then Bemidji uh, with a narrow 1-0 win over Umary. Um, and so the second round will be played on Friday. So if you're listening to this on Friday, the semifinals of the NSIC tournament happening today, it's Bemidji and Augustana and Minot and Minnesota State playing for a spot in the conference championship. Um, and Dom, um, uh, this is more your, uh, your side of the, uh, of the podcast here. You have been at us bank stadium and the, uh, St. Paul, what, what was, what's the actual venue where the third place, man, uh, the Saint West, Paul. West St. Paul athletic center. I believe there we go. that's good. Yes. Yep. I remember seeing it in writing like a while ago when I was looking at the, the, the dates and the times and stuff, but yes. I cannot remember for life and what it's called. Um, so anyways, you have been very, very busy this week covering the state soccer tournament. So being that you are far more of an authority on this particular topic than I am, I am going to let you take it. 
All right. Uh, so we'll start uh, with, well, two things. First of all, the finals for state are, are Friday the 4th. So if you're listening to this, that's, a, that's probably happening right now. Uh, if you're listening quite early, it might have not happened yet. Uh, so, so maybe check on that. But uh, so, so we won't have the the winners here. But uh, you'll know that around the time you listen. But uh, we'll talk through the matchups and the third place winners. So, uh, for boys, uh, Class A, the final is going to be St. Paul Academy and Summit versus St. Anthony Village. The third place game, uh, which which the third place games were the pl- the games played in the West St. Paul Athletic Center. Uh, was uh, was won by uh, Maranath, Maranathan, Maranathan. I'm sorry, I'm still learning to say that name. Uh, <laughs> was won by them, so congratulations to them. And, and that St. Paul Academy and Summit and St. Anthony Village matchup should be interesting for for reasons that we'll add on to later because uh, they're playing each other twice. Uh, Class AA, Hill Murray versus uh, De La Salle is the final. Uh, Cloquet Esco Carlton won the third place game. Congratulations to them. Uh, shout out to uh, shout out to a, a school that I covered very briefly back in the Northland. Uh, class AAA, YZ versus Woodbury will be the final, and Andover won the third place game. I was at that game because they played uh, Maple Grove, and uh, that was a very interesting, uh, very very hard fight. It was a one nil win for Andover, a very sort of tight fight kind of game. Not a lot of well, obviously not a lot of goals, but uh, a lot of sort of fighting in the middle third and. And all that um, West St. Paul Athletic Center being a very different venue from from US Bank in terms of spacing and it was colder and and, and there's just very different setup so that kind of changed up I think both teams. Um, but uh, for the I will say for the Wyzetta Woodbury final Wyzetta are definitely the favorites in this one on paper. I will say that uh, having watched Woodbury play Maple Grove, they they were the ones that knocked Maple Grove out in the semifinals. Uh, that Woodbury team uh, surprised me a little bit. They were were very good, very physical in the midfield. Did a really good job of sort of starving out passing lanes through the game. Uh, showed some really good pace, just some really good understanding of the game. So I, I'd be very curious to see what happens tomorrow and if Woodbury can maybe pull a little bit of an upset uh, against an otherwise highly acclaimed uh, YZ team. So I think that one will be interesting. But uh, congratulations again to, to Andover, uh, Clote Esco Carlton and and uh, Maranatha for uh, those third place wins as well. Those are big deals. Yeah, remember all these teams have already won their section, so they've already gotten sort of a big, big win out of the way. Some of them won their conferences in the regular season, uh, and, and so that third place game for a lot of schools, particularly if you were like an underdog coming in, like Clote uh, Esco Carlton were and uh, Maranatha were both kind of underdogs in this whole postseason. Uh, that third place win is a big one. So. Uh, yeah, it would be very interesting to see how that plays out tomorrow for the boys. For girls, Class A is also St. Paul Academy and Summit versus St. Anthony Village. So that'll be a very emotional day for the students of that. Yeah, seriously. Wow. <laughs> um, boys and girls, Class A finals, the same exact match. I kind of hope that one of each wins, just because otherwise, if one school wins both of those, Ooh. that's going to be a rough, that's going to be a rough week for that yeah, program. At least. Set. At least if each team wins one, your each fan yeah. base, each each school is going home at least somewhat happy, right? Otherwise, I mean that's I don't know that that feels like it'd be rough if they lose if either side wins or loses both. But um, yeah, so we'll see how that plays out. That'll be interesting little narrative to follow in in the single A part of the tournament. Uh, the third place game for that for class single A was won by Providence Academy. 
A double A, that final is Academy of Holy Angels versus uh, Mata Midai. The third place game was won by Mankato East. And uh, class triple uh, A is Edina versus Rosemount. The third place game was uh, won by Moundsview, uh, which was interesting for me to see because uh, Moundsview uh, knocked out uh, Maple Grove in the section tournament. Uh, so that was a team I'd kind of been following. So congratulations to, to Moundsville, Moundsview, excuse me, Mankato East and Providence Academy for those third place wins. Again, those, those girls games will also be at U.S. Bank uh, tomorrow, uh, the 4th through the day. Those games are scattered really basically from morning to, to evening. Uh, so you'll you'll have to double check if you have a relevant school you're tracking, but uh, I'm sure that team will be posting about it. But uh, I will ha I will add after all that that it was a real pleasure to go U.S. Bank Stadium on um, gosh, what day did I go? Well, anyways, for the for the Maple Grove uh, Woodbury game, uh, that it was really cool. I've I've never the last time I went to U.S. Bank Stadium was for a preseason game between Tottenham. Hotspurs and AC Milan in like 2019. So wow. uh, that's, and that's the only time I've been there. <laughs> so um, it was cool once to be there again at all. Um, but it was also cool to, to see it from a, a perspective I've never seen it before because I was, uh, I was there as media. So I, I was uh, pitch side. Uh, and, and that was, that was really cool to be able to walk around a little bit and, and, and just see the, the view of all that from that ground level. Um, it's a really beautiful stadium, as everyone probably already knows. But, uh, yeah, it was really striking, really cool. It was really great to see both schools in the game that I was reporting on. Had good attendance from fans that basically had one side of the stadium that they were all taking up. But that one side was actually relatively packed more, you know, with the context of the game. And, and so that was great. Um, both bands were there and obviously playing and all that. So, yeah, really cool. Uh, the one thing I'll also – the one less serious thing I'll add is, by God, does it get hot on that field. <laughs> Um, I, oh, yeah. I did not yeah, I'm sure it does appreciate wow. how warm it got by the end of the game. I felt I was so, I, I had like a light, I didn't, I wasn't dressed cold for, for cold weather. I, I just had a t-shirt and like a light jacket kind of thing on. Mm -hmm. And oh my gosh, um, it, it was so warm. I, I have great appreciation for people that actually have to play sports on that yeah. field. And it was also a bit of a twist because then the next day at the West St. Paul, uh, uh athletic center, it was, you know, ac sporting facility so it was like the complete opposite but oh um gosh. anyways yeah really cool to go to u.s bank stadium and uh, best of luck to to the various teams in the final tomorrow yeah it's it's a cool atmosphere and environment too yeah. right i mean the just that that state championship that state finals just tension is like very much there and what a what a oh, cool yeah. venue for that event as well um, so yeah, best of luck to all the teams and I'm sure all the state championship games are going to be, are going to be awesome. We will get back into the episode in just a quick minute, but, uh, of course you've heard us talk about Pence Holmes numerous times, not only here on the 10,000 pitches podcast, but also on the saloons post game show during the Minnesota United season as well. And the reason why we are so grateful for Pence Holmes support is it's so rare to find a local business like Pence Holmes, who is so committed to helping support the local Minnesota soccer community. And that's what Nate Pence and his team have really shown, um, especially over these last few years. You know, they're sponsoring Minneapolis City Soccer Club. They're sponsoring Minnesota Aurora FC. Um, Nate Pence is huge into supporting Minnesota United as well, among other local soccer organizations and entities. Soda Soccer included and 10,000 pitches included. So, 
if you want to look at a business that's supporting the local soccer community but can also do a damn good job of helping you buy a new home, sell your current home, or do both at the same time, look no further than Nate Pence and the team at Pence Homes. P-E-N-T-Z homes.com is the website. Go there right now. If you're in or around Minneapolis and St. Paul and you are kind of in that process of thinking about selling your home or buying a new home or doing both, which is super stressful, um, I highly recommend you go to pencehomes.com and just check out their reviews. Don't take it from me. Take it from the hundreds and hundreds of people who have done business with Nate Pence and his team. It's probably thousands of people at this point, but the hundreds of reviews that they have over at pencehomes.com from people who have actually worked with Nate and worked with the team and have had such a great experience. You can have that experience as well. P-E-N-T-Z-Homes.com. Or if I have sold you here, just email Nate directly. Nate, N-A-T-E, at PenceHolmes.com. Huge thanks again to Pence Holmes for supporting Soda Soccer and the 10,000 Pitches podcast. Let's get back into the show. All right. Now we're going to wrap things up as we always do. Top four time. Uh, we kind of take a couple of stories that don't necessarily kind of fit in the uh, in the rundown and uh, that, but that we want to discuss. And we kind of put them here. Um, and Dom, I'm going to kick us off first. We do have uh, an MLS Cup this weekend, Saturday, um, Saturday afternoon. Um, it's, uh, the, uh, it's LAFC hosting the Philadelphia union. Um, there's no parking around bank of California stadium. People who want to go, will have to either take a cab or, or take a train or, or walk or bike or whatever they want to do to get there, which is kind of interesting for a cup final, no parking around the stadium, but, uh, I digress. We're not going to get into that conversation. However, um, I mean, it's the two number one seeds, which you rarely get. In, in any playoff scenario, let alone MLS oh, okay. uh, MLS Cup playoffs, I don't. Has this happened like in the last ten years in MLS? Two number one seeds. I, it definitely hasn't I happened like recently. Like last yeah. couple of years, it definitely hasn't happened. Yeah, I cannot sure remember years. a time where it's where it's happened. So, um, but I mean, these are two, these are two excellent teams. Obviously, um, the two best teams in the playoffs. Um, that'll be uh, going head to head. And uh, to me, this is a tough one to pick because I mean, both teams are playing in just excellent form right now. Um, LAFC has proven to kind of silence a lot of the doubters that they had coming in. Uh, you know, they were facing some issues at the end of the regular season. Some of their more recent signings were not playing and um, you know, they hadn't traditionally done well in the playoffs. So um, there were some doubters, but man, just a, a, just an absolute demolition of Austin in the in the Western Conference final. I mean, that was impressive. Um, and then, of course, Philadelphia taking down NYCFC as well to get to the uh, Eastern Conference final, sort of uh, um, uh, countering the uh, the ousting of last year when NYC mm-hmm. beat them. So. I mean, how how does this one go? I'll I'll save my prediction, but uh, Dom, I'll put you on the spot here first. LAFC Philly, who you got? Yeah, I think this is a really you know we talked a little bit. Um, I forget it was last week or the week before, but we talked about this potential matchup and 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 how interesting it was. You know, at first, obviously, just because again, the number one seeds teams have very good seasons, a lot of talent on them, but there's there's a lot of reasons this is an interesting matchup. These are both teams that, despite being very different ages, um, have similar things to prove here um, as MLS teams in terms of being able to win something like MLS cup. 
in terms of being championship teams, mm-hmm. being teams that you don't just talk about in the regular season, but they show up in the postseason. Uh, you have a lot to prove there. You have the fact that every time these teams play is pretty wild. Um, the last two games, uh, I, I double-checked this. So so they played each other this year actually already. That was a 2-2 draw in, in L.A. The last time before that that they played each other was in uh, 2020. It was actually one of the last games before the COVID lockdown. And that game was a 3-3 draw in L.A. Um, they've actually only played once in Philadelphia against each other. But um, so, you know, you have inter- interesting history. And I think those results are relevant, even the 2021, in the sense that both these teams actually have a lot of roster carryover from the last couple of years. So a lot of the mm-hmm. players that are on these teams right now actually played those games. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, it's 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 a game that I expect to have goals in it. They're both coming into this one with a lot of goals in their pocket. Um, a lot of energy, a lot of momentum, a lot to prove. I am going with uh, Philadelphia. Uh, I think that this team has a little more of an axe to grind than LAFC mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what people believe they're capable of. I think LAFC is a team that, that people expect to get to this place at some point. Uh, whereas Philadelphia, I feel like a lot of the doubters, so to say, of Philadelphia think that at some point this magic will run out and this Philadelphia mm-hmm. team being competitive but not quite getting there eventually will translate into them just not being a relevant team again. Uh, and I think that they will want to prove those people wrong. I think they have a lot of 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 hungry, dedicated players on that team that are really going to want to prove something here on the road, sort of in enemy territory. Uh, so I am... I'm going with Philadelphia. I also would love for um, Brujo Martinez to win uh, an MLS Cup, so I'm hoping that happens. But um, yeah, I'm going with the Union. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna upset it. You know, I, I'm gonna go with Philadelphia as well. And there's, there's, I've, I've noticed this, this, uh, I don't know, mentality or this, this consistent feeling among LAFC and maybe it's just the supporters. I don't know if it's the same with the players, but you know, they got past the galaxy um, and they're in MLS cup final. Now Um, there's almost this feeling of, of like satisfaction with that Mm. or like they're, they're almost playing with house money at this point. Um, You know, in your fourth year, you're in an, you're in a, um, you're in MLS cup final um, you've sort of already sort of um, kind of gotten past some of those doubts and some of those things that the the monkeys off your back, if you will, in terms of this. I, I, don't, I don't think a loss to Philadelphia would would change any opinions on LAFC and how good they are and what their future holds. Um, and I think that's the feeling among the supporters. There was a lot of anxiety going into that Galaxy match, obviously. They got past that. And then they they sort of you know the the game against Austin was just I mean it was it was super impressive. If that team comes out against Philly, it's going to be really tough for the Union to uh, to get to get the win there. But I do think that there is a little bit more not pressure, but I think more importance in this match for Philadelphia than there is for LAFC. If that makes any sense, yeah. And I think both teams and both fan bases are sort of kind of feeling accordingly there. Um, and Philadelphia is just a damn good team. 
too, right? I mean, Jim Curtin, coach of the year. You have coach of the year, defender of the year, and goalkeeper of the year on your on your team, right? So um, it's going to be tough for that LAFC front line, as good as it is, to to really break through and uh, and and find the back of the net here. And so, um, and and I don't see Philadelphia. I don't see that dam breaking, and I don't I don't see them letting in two three goals. I can see Philadelphia scoring two, three goals on LAFC. I cannot see LAFC scoring two or three goals on Philly. And uh-huh. that to me also, from an X's and O's, from a tactical standpoint, that's what it comes down to. So um, I'm going to go Philly. I'm going to say, I'm going to say it's close, but I'm going to say 2-1. I think they go up 2-0. I think LAFC gets one back in the second half to give them some hope, but I think uh-huh. uh, Philly sees it through. And it's a 2-1 win for the Union. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'm not, I won't harp on it too much longer, but I think this is a really uh, cool result of this season in terms of, of what we get to kind of cap it all off again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting matchup. Uh, from a personal perspective, I would really love, I, I, I want to be able to say that I've had a long form conversation with a guy that, that has won MLS Cup. So if Philadelphia wins, I, I have to say I did that. So um, there you go. But uh, no, yeah, I, I think. And actually, one more thing. One more thing. This. I think the the Jim Curtin Philadelphia Union that we have now, the identity they have now, in a lot of I, a lot of people I know, kind of feel that a lot of that was born in and around that transition from 2019 to 2020, and in games like that three three draw. I remember in that draw, uh, which actually I think might have been um, uh, Jose Martinez's first start for for Philadelphia. He, you know, he got a, a considerable cut on his lip. He was bleeding down his face and they glued it up and he played the rest of the game. And it, it was sort of a, a big example of what, what he was bringing to that team, but also what Jim Curtin was, was trying to get into that team. Just sort of a, an undying need to get over the line and figure things out. Uh, and, and, you know, when, when they got into that game, the union were not being considered, you know, a supporter shield contender and LAFC meanwhile were being considered the the jewel of the crown. So you've just mm-hmm. seen really almost since that game, you've seen the development of what we have now with the union. And, and again, I just, I think they're going to figure it out, but uh, anyway, it'll be very interesting. My, uh, my first top four uh, is, is actually a, a, a sort of callback to uh, the fact that I was talking about us bank stadium earlier, but it's just that, you know, at the b- beginning of the NFL season, we were mentioning them, uh, the, the Minnesota Vikings rather, or and the NFL season in uh, top four a couple of times. And we, we ended up kind of ending on a, on a low note, particularly after that, that loss to the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, speaking of Philadelphia. And now it seems like we were right at the start. It seems like the Vikings are really good. <laughs> and uh, I think we get to, or I think I get to be excited about, uh, about them again. Uh, this, this team is just looking so, so good right now. The one team they have lost to is the Philadelphia Eagles who are undefeated and apparently are, also very, very good. Uh, so yeah. probably need to feel less bad about that one. Um, this trade for uh, for um, Hawkinson from the Lions, I know is a yeah. lot of people, but but just in general, I mean, this team's performing really well. The rest of the NFC North is not performing well. And, uh, you know, I think, I think the Vikings are going to have a really entertaining year here. It, they don't really need that many more results to more or less kind of lock themselves kind of into that that spot they're at already so uh yeah i i think this is going to be a really fun year for uh for the vikings and for folks going to us bank stadium so 
that's that's exciting and i just i wanted to touch on that because i think the last time we talked about them was was when they had lost and it was like oh maybe never mind but uh, it looks it looks like there's reasons to be happy for the vikings so shout out to the vikings i i don't know if they're good if because every game just seems to be this like like not underwhelming but like you don't come away super impressed like after sure. after but they're winning right which is the most important yeah. thing i think the thing that's helping them is there are only like three good teams in the nfc this year and maybe like five good teams in the entire league like it just seems to be a very down year for the league and i was talking to somebody about this we hosted a halloween party at our house on saturday i was talking to some of my friends about that who were very very into the nfl and i'm into the point to know enough to change my fantasy football team every week that's about it's about as into it as i get but we're talking it's like well it actually would be the most vikings thing ever like this is this is the vikings year because the rest of the league kind of sucks (laughs) <laughs> so like if there's a year for the vikings to to break through not necessarily when they're good just when other teams aren't good or also mm-hmm. aren't good this would be a this would be a year for the vikings to actually break through and, may, and maybe do something so no, that's a fair um, point. That's a fair point. but yeah i mean six and one is six and one it's hard yeah. to argue it's six and one and you're bringing in um tj hawkinson who is on my fantasy team so mm-hmm. i know for a fact he is very very good uh so that that's got to be a, a an exciting addition to the to the to the squad and um it, they they always they also seem to be going up against like backup quarterbacks every single week which is also helping them out too every other team seems to be have quarterback issues and uh sort of make makes Kirk Cousins look a lot better in uh in Vikings fans <laughs> Who would have thought the Vikings would be the ones benefiting from quarterback yeah. <laughs> we the Vikings have the stable quarterback situation in the league this year. The sign of the that, apocalypse, that, man. That's how, that's what you need to know about the NFL uh in 2022. But uh yeah, no, exciting nonetheless. Uh my wife and I are actually going to the the Cowboys game the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Oh, nice. So that's uh that's going to be fun. But yeah, uh go vikes i guess um my second thing is actually pretty interesting and i found i saw this from a dude on twitter so i don't know how legitimate this is but so i'm just gonna i'm gonna preface it with that but but looking at manchester united's schedule coming up through the rest of the year there doesn't seem to be a place where they can slot in the matches that they had to forfeit or the remaining matches that they need to play forfeited matches that they or the the postponed matches, I should say, mm. um, after Queen Elizabeth's death. I know they played, I think, one of them. They made up one of them, but they still need to make up one or two more. And when looking at their schedule, all their midweeks are, like, booked. Mm. Like, either they're in Europa League or they're mm. in, like, Carabao Cup or mm. or um, uh, FA Cup or, like, there's, like, or, or they're playing league matches already. Yeah. Like, like there's a lot of different competitions that they're in right now, yeah. which is good. Obviously that means they're, they're, you know, playing cup football, which is what you want to be doing. But it also means that like they, it's not clear where they're going to slot in these matches. And as of right now, it doesn't look like they can slot in these matches, which I don't I don't know what the solution is there. Do you, do you forfeit the league matches? Probably not. Uh, do you bow out? Do you pull yourself out of the Carabao cup? to be able to play the, you know, these matches. Uh, I, I don't know, but it's just a very interesting yeah. situation that it looks like Manchester United. I mean, at some level, they might have to forfeit these remaining oh. makeups because it doesn't seem they have a, a window to be able to play them between now and the end of the year. Yeah. I wonder if, 
Hmm. I wonder if almost they would have to consider some sort of version, of, especially if it's, especially with the potential conflicts with, say, the Carabao Cup or or the Europa League, but uh, but preferably Carabao Cup because the Europa League is, is you know a, a bigger competition. But they might have to almost try and do. Um, I recall maybe two years ago, uh, Liverpool had to. Liverpool had a FIFA Club World Cup game and a Carabao Cup game in like a 24-hour window between each other. And, and they of split the, squad, right? They split squad. They played kids in the Carabao Cup game, which was in England, obviously. And then they they sent the senior squad more or less to uh, wherever the FIFA World Cup Club World Cup was. Uh, it was somewhere in Asia, I believe. Um, and so, you know, they played that risk. I, I don't recall how the Carabao Cup game went. They might have lost that game. Um, they ended up winning the FIFA Club World Cup. But uh, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe there's going to be have to be some sort of compromise like that. I mean, yeah, I forfeiting that. obviously might end up being the option. I, I, I imagine that's the one they want to avoid just because of how it looks. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, that's going to be tough. I mean, this year is so crazy. And, and for what it's worth, Obviously, with the World Cup, people are talking a lot about like the crampness and stuff, and that is true. The World Cup does make it more cramped. Uh, it's probably it is worth noting that this cramp problem with the schedule has actually been a problem growing for like ten years. Uh, so you know, this has been a developing thing that has kind of been. Uh, it's almost like you know someone threw a match in the in the in the uh, dynamite bin because of the World Cup adding to the mix but this problem has yeah. been growing for a while you know so um it'll be interesting to see how they handle their version of it but uh hopefully hopefully they can figure something out that you know at least provides opportunity still for for players but we'll, we'll have to see how that works um and then, my, oh, sorry, you know what's funny about that dom is like mls is kind of going that direction too because like the crux of the problem is there's just so many competitions in europe right, right? Yeah, there's there's your your Champions League or your Europa League. There's multiple cup competitions. There's there's uh, you know other inter intra league competitions mm-hmm. that are played. There's national. It's then you got national duty and all that. And like MLS has largely avoided that for the most part. They still find ways to have have cramped schedules because MLS. But um, but like next year, you have the uh, the League's Cup coming into play. Um, and they'll, I know they want to kind of have more of those type of competitions, those like cup mid season cup type competitions to go along with us open cup and the league's cup. Now it's like, this is a problem that could also start manifesting itself in MLS as well. When it largely hasn't really been an issue before, obviously with the world cup being in November, it kind of throws every league for a loop this year, but it's also just something to keep an eye on is, is how does the league find ways to schedule effectively with all these other competitions being played. Cause they're not going to remove league games from the schedule. That's for damn sure. No. So it's like, no. you know, how do, how do you, well, you have a new TV deal. They got to make sure they. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah, no, it's true. You know, you, I, I think that's one of the valid criticisms that people have for the fact that they're kind of growing and growing and growing all these different continental competitions for CONCACAF without really creating a clear sort of pyramid uh, underneath them is that it's all kind of stacking up and it's a lot of the same teams playing a lot of these games. And uh, obviously then you have domestic lead, you have domestic cup, 
so it, it, it's really piling up. And then, you know, I, I double checked this just to make sure I was remembering this right. Next summer, there's a gold cup <laughs> in the U.S. So, uh, you know, you're going to have MLS players taken away. You're going to have stadiums in the U.S. that are going to be occupied. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think that in a different way that that the U.S. and, and maybe this is also affecting, um, you know, places like Mexico. I, I can speak to that less, but places like the U.S., it's, it's getting really crowded. Um, maybe unnecessarily so. Um, but we'll, yeah, we'll have to see how that plays out too. We have a lot of lot of guys quite tired by the end of of, of next season. That's for sure. Um, speaking of competitions, speaking of soccer competitions, my my last top four is just going to be um, kind of on the note of you know obviously we talked about uh, high school state soccer competitions uh, earlier, and, and I, I just kind of want to now that that season is is almost done, it'll be done probably by the time people are listening it's not quite done yet mm-hmm. but um having uh more or less on my end finished the season from a reporting standpoint uh at my new major job I, I just wanted to do kind of one more shout out to to really how much i've enjoyed and and been uh surprised and pleased by the experience of, of following and tracking these games i think people um really uh i think people are sleeping on the entertainment value of high school soccer i think yeah. that uh people and i get it you know town to town is just, it's a sport that less people are interested in at the moment and all that kind of stuff i know those are factors but i think people underappreciate just how entertaining the game to be at this level um you know the, the way the the way they play soccer is is adjusted to fit you know the the limitations of the being high schoolers you know they play 80 minute games for example instead of 90 minute it's a version of the game that's adjusted to, to work best for um for them as as teenagers but uh it's it's a really entertaining form a lot of these kids are playing their hearts out the state games that i've watched even before us bank the uh the quarterfinal games i mean these guys are absolutely playing their hearts out to get to that next chapter uh some really really great soccer particularly from these these higher level teams but even you know when i uh i covered well i talked about it on here it was the section game i watched that had to be replayed in full between osseo and park center you know, Park Center came into that game as a as a low seed in theory, a quote, you know, a quote unquote bad team. Uh, Park Center played absolutely amazing, you know, fantastic soccer in both those games. Really entertaining to watch. The players moved the ball in really interesting, elegant ways. Both those teams were really talented, uh, and there's a lot of those teams out there. So uh, you know, pay attention to to your local high school soccer and, and every sport, but pay attention to your local high school soccer. I think you'll be surprised by what's out there. Um, and just remember, like, I, I think there was a time in my uh, life where I thought of that as like, oh, well, it's just kids from high school playing soccer. But it's like, well, yeah, but those kids are the kids that go to college and then the kids that go pro. They have to start somewhere. Exactly. Um, so, you know, you, you never know. You never know what what you might actually be seeing when you're watching that 16, 17 year old playing. You might be seeing someone that's going to do quite a lot down the road. Um, a lot of the stories that I have written about over over time for Soda Soccer about guys that are kind of um, undercovered as pros, for example. A lot of those guys just playing for humble schools in high school, and and you know no one probably thought a thing of it when they watched them. But um, anyway, so yeah, just just a, a shout out to that, and, and to make sure people pay attention to, to high school soccer. I think it's really uh, under underappreciated, undervalued part of the game here. Yeah, especially here in the state too. I mean, mm-hmm. it's um, the you you mentioned just the the quality of the play is just pretty, pretty fascinating to go and watch. I think there might be yeah. some preconceived notions for people that don't go out and watch 
that level of soccer on a regular basis that it's it's not going to be up to snuff but it it, it definitely is and especially when you're talking about state semifinals state finals the latter oh, yeah. part of the state tournaments too these are really really good teams with excellent players so yeah cannot cannot echo that sentiment enough all right if you want to hear uh Dominic and I sort of echo ourselves here with another podcast. You can go and check out 10K Stoppage Time, um, where we're kind of uh, letting Dom kind of chime into the uh, Twitter Spaces conversation we had on Wednesday. Dom was not able to be there for our Minnesota United postmortem offseason preview. So uh, we're going to take like five, 10 minutes and sort of uh, get Dom's take on everything and kind of what he wants to see from Minnesota United this offseason. So that is this week's episode of 10K Stoppage Time over at patreon.com slash soda soccer. Go and uh, check that out now if you could and uh, go and support us while you're at it. And then uh, if not, that's cool. That's totally fine. We will catch you next week for another episode of 10,000 Pitches. Till then, have a great weekend. Have a great week. And we will catch you next Friday. See you guys.